Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, we're going to talk a little about biofuels. If you've got any questions about that or anything that's happening on your farm agronomically, just give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on X, Media. Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. All right, to start the show off today, we've been getting a lot of questions in the Ag PhD mailbag, so we're going to answer those right off the bat. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, first one comes in from Dave, and he said, guys, um, looking for some fertilizer recommendations here. What would you do... um, what would you do with these 30 acres? I've sent soil samples in here. It looks like there's 20 samples. They're done about an uh, acre and a half. <laughs> I uh, thought we were not doing a soil sample thing. <laughs> I right grabbed the that. wrong one, but oh, I already started. All right. Okay, it's fine. I think you're going to be That's pretty right. quick. Uh, so corn soybean <laughs> rotation. Yeah, so, so we, before we start the show, Darren goes, okay, do you want to hit like a whole bunch of quick questions? Yep, or do you want to take a soil test question that should take a long time? All right, Go we got to move then. <laughs> All right, so corn soybean rotation, going to be corn next year, 220 bushel corn goal. Got it. Uh, only had 35 bushel beans this year, but he had an extreme drought. Yep. Um, anyway, fertilizer options are broadcast or two-by-two two liquid, uh, 6 to 10 like inches both. of soil, and then below the 6 to 10 inches of soil, it's, in his description, peanut butter clay. Uh, Good. He has a source of lime, uh, so he could put that on if you don't, do think that's part of this. Uh, I don't need any lime. Um, you only got two spots that are below and, five. And nine. it was a really drought five, year, six, so five, it might seven. be reading a little bit artificially yes, low. Yes. So, nope, I would so not watch put that, any lime Watch on. that next year and just see. Yep, but for now, I wouldn't spend any money on that. Um, where I'm going to spend, my, well, actually, let me, you know where I go first if you listen to the show. Uh, very often it's P and K and the P level, the phosphorus levels are too low. That's the biggest issue. So on our farm, I'm shooting for a hundred parts per million on Malik three, which would be equivalent to, or close to the P2 or strong Bray. And your average strong Bray test is 20. Your average P1 weak Bray test is probably 15. So there's just not enough phosphorus there. Your potassium levels are actually not too bad. Um, they're not great. Uh, the, but here's here's the distinction, and here's where I'm going with this. You have relatively light soil. It's a 10 CEC. So because of that, you don't need a lot of potassium to make your base saturation percentage look good. So when you hear us talk all the time, just again and again, about you got to hit a minimum of 4% base saturation K, that's where you're going to look at this, and you're going to go, well, I'm probably averaging 3.6. I'm close. Yes, but... You have only a hundred, let's see, you got as low as 104 part, no, 96 parts per million. Uh, you probably average 140 parts per million. That's only 280 pounds. Um, that's not enough either. So I'd be broadcasting P and K. I would also be doing some two by two P and K just to get those levels built up. Uh, or to help. Okay. So the reason why you do two by two is to get the plant off to a better start, get some good, highly available liquid right there. So that's great. We just don't like getting super carried away on that, but do some of that, do some broadcast. That's the way I would go. The next thing I'm going to tell you is in the future, I'd really like more of the sulfur and micronutrient tests. You gave that to me on one. And on that one, by the way, your copper's too low, your zinc's too low, your boron's too low. 
and uh, your manganese may or may not be too low. I'm not 100% sure because you don't have a malic 3 test here. Uh, and your sulfur is too low. So my point is I'd like to see it on all your stuff. Oh, I'll take that back. I said one. I lied. It was two. You gave it to me on two. But on both of them, you're low on every single one of those. So if it's me, I'm doing something so I can get at least a little bit more in terms of boron, copper, zinc, maybe manganese, definitely sulfur, somehow, some way. So pretty much anything you're going to fertilize with, you need it, I guess, is really what this comes down to. All right. Thanks for the question. Got this one from Larry down in southwest Arkansas about chicken litter. He said, our chicken litter is running about 1% nitrogen. If we put it out in the fall, how much would you expect us to lose from leaching? We're getting 25 inches of rain generally over the next six months. Oh, um, well, I'm hoping it's very little. So I, I guess let's put it that way. How much would I expect you're going to lose? I don't know. It's a complete guess. So this is exactly the reason why we like soil testing in the late spring. About the time you need to do pre-side dress or nitrate tests uh, would be like knee-high corn. And then you see. And just see, hey, did this nitrogen come in? Did it not? How much was carried over? How much lasted? Even if I put some on in early spring, is it still here? How am I doing? What's the crop look like? And then you make your call for a mid-season kind of application or relatively early in the season in-crop application. So I could, I could guess as to how much nitrogen you're going to lose out of that litter, but it would be simply a complete guess. All right. Thanks for the question, Larry. Uh, I got this one from Ray down in southwest Kansas. We've got an average CEC of 22. Our pH is ideal in the 6.6 to 6.8 range. Continuous corn, irrigated ground. Planted on 250 bushel corn next year. Here's what I'm thinking of doing in a strip 8 inches deep. 70P, 30K, 20S, 2 zinc, and 220 pounds of nitrogen as anhydrous. Okay, so say that one more time. So 70, 30, what? 70, two, two? 30, 20, 20, S, and 2Z, along with 220 pounds of nitrogen as anhydrous this fall. Eight inches deep. Then he's going to side dress or fertigate the rest of the N. What's the amount that I should limit myself to in banding before I'm going to cause some damage in a 22 CEC. I'm going to say that's the most popular fertilizer question we get, Darren. And my answer's always got to be, I don't know for sure. Do I feel pretty good about that? Is it going I to rain in good. Southwest Kansas? Right. But here's the thing. I know nothing about anything else going on in your field, your history, your soil tests, all that kind of stuff. And so I feel pretty good, but I'm, I certainly don't want to be put on the hook for, will this 100% for sure be safe? It's possible not. But yeah, when it's irrigated, I feel a lot better. And so I don't have to worry about rain. So have we done mixes that much or more? Yes, we have in similar soil. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. 
Are you ready? We got the need! The need for seed treatment! Start your engines! Ready, set, Intego! Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings, experience the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. Talking about biofuels on our show, if you've got questions for us, if you've got any agronomic questions you want to talk about, we're certainly happy to take those too. But if you've got questions about biodiesel or ethanol or some of the different biofuels that are out there on the market today, this is your day. Call in, ask questions. We've got a couple of great experts lined up to be on today uh, just to discuss some of the big questions that you may have. Uh, and, of course, if there's uh, experience that you've got, those types of things, love to hear about that, too. Uh, we're big supporters of, of biofuels on our farm and uh, have been for, for many, many years, and both with our personal vehicles and, and, of course, with what we're doing on the farm. So love biodiesel, love ethanol. It's been really good for us, but I uh, want to hear about your experience as well. Start off with Steve Howell right now with Mark Four Consulting. Uh, Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. In fact, I'm calling in from Kansas City, where we just had a big meeting with uh, with all the engine companies and biodiesel companies and petroleum companies to plan out the future of the biodiesel world. So that's awesome. Okay, so you're you're fresh off talking to a lot of these companies out there. Why are they so excited about biodiesel? Well, the by far the the primary reason why people are looking at biodiesel today is to get that carbon reduction that you get because biodiesel takes carbon out of the air, grows a plant, and you, you make a fuel out of that, and you put that same carbon that came out of the air back into the air. So there's a around an 80% carbon reduction when you're using biodiesel compared to petroleum diesel fuel or natural gas or gasoline. And so everybody seems really interested in carbon reduction, and biodiesel is a really cost-effective way to get that in your existing equipment without having to make a bunch of changes. You know, with our infrastructure that we've got in the country, we do have the ability to uh, to make biodiesel, and I would assume that could get ramped up pretty quickly as well if if uh, everybody gets on board. Yeah, that's very true. And you know, we're producing right now about three and a half billion gallons uh, of biodiesel and renewable diesel in the U.S. market, uh, and we're scheduled to go to six billion in 2030, which is kind of our industry goal. 
And uh, more than likely, we'll, we'll probably get there before then because the interest in, in all these low-carbon fuels is even you know higher than we anticipated. And we've seen several crush plants go in to crush more soybeans here and provide value added here. And providing that crush here provides the more oil so that we can make it into to biodiesel and renewable diesel. So that is definitely happening now. You know, we've ramped up from, you know, just about a billion and a half gallons, you know, five years ago to over three and a half billion gallons this year. So we are certainly ramping up and that is indeed true. That's outstanding. I know we're seeing it here too. The supply has been really good. We've been able to access biodiesel pretty much all the time. We've got tanks that are inside, Steve, and we keep our tanks warm running in our grain hauling trucks in the winter. We're, we're comfortable running biodiesel blends. we got no issues at all. Uh, but in the past, I know some guys have had some trouble when we get colder weather. What do you suggest for growers as we get towards these colder months? Yeah, well, one of the really good things that's happened, and, you know, a lot of this is kind of behind the scenes, but we have significantly improved the biodiesel specs the, for people making the fuel, and c- companies now are making really high-quality biodiesel. So some of the issues that we've seen in the past, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, you know, all those things are, have kind of gone by the wayside. So so the, the quality of biodiesel is, today is super high. In fact, we have better body supply than pretty much anywhere else in the, in the whole entire world. And folks have gotten pretty good about, you know, how high you can dial up your blend as the cold weather turns in. Um, so if we just use a, a high-quality body and most of the companies now know, know what to do to, to utilize B20 in the wintertime. And if you need to go down to B5 or B10, you know, folks can do that too. And, and, and your fuel producer and fuel blender you know, have gotten pretty good at that over the years. So... Um, I, I think we're now we're in a position where just using good high quality fuel from a good supplier and, uh, and they'll work with you on, on doing whatever you'd like to do. You know, I think about it on the farm and I, I remember when biodiesel was first getting going and I had a farmer that was just not too far down the road from us, uh, that, that was using it in just about everything on his farm. And it was so encouraging to me just to hear that, that, wow, I I was thinking about our tractors and he's talking about, uh, hey, I'm running it with my irrigation unit. I've got a diesel um, fuel pump out there and I'm running it in this, I'm running in that. And he was driving a diesel car just because he he wanted, he he got a Volkswagen. He was just all in on biodiesel. He thought it was the greatest thing ever. You you know, we're doing a lot of tillage right now, a lot of harvest right now. Uh, You can pretty much put biodiesel anywhere, right? No, that's exactly right. In fact, you know, the past year or two, there's been quite a few of the Midwestern states which have, have put in either incentives for the first time for biodiesel or have, have up their incentives. You know, uh, Illinois has a, a sales tax incentive for B20. Um, Iowa has a retail and producer's tax incentive, and they're the first in the nation to have an incentive for B30, so that's 30% biodiesel. Uh, Missouri just put in a, an incentive program, and Nebraska just put in uh, an incentive program. So, you know, those incentive programs, you know, make it, you know, really easy for fuel retailers to carry biodiesel, and and it is available much more than it used to be. You know, the the National Biodiesel Board is is doing a lot of work here to support us on the ag side. We really appreciate that. What are some of the big challenges uh, coming up? Is it just getting the uh, the manufacturers to to build more engines is it um, infrastructure what what are the big challenges Steve Yeah, in fact that we've we the National Body Sports now changed their name to Clean Fuels Alliance America, supporting all the fuels you can make out of, of vegetable oils and animal fats, renewable diesel, biodiesel, sustainable aviation fuel. But really, I think one of our biggest challenges is 
just making sure that people know that we have a low carbon fuel that's available and you don't have to go to wind and solar and electric to reduce your carbon footprint. There are other options that you have to reduce your carbon footprint and you can reduce your carbon footprint now. And that's starting to become a bigger deal because people are realizing now that carbon that you don't put in the air now is carbon that isn't there next year and the year after that and the year after that and the year after that. So that, that time value of carbon and reducing carbon now is really seen as a, as a key thing. So it's been, we're trying to make sure that people are aware that you can reduce your carbon without having to, to go to solar, you know, wind or electric. You know, I think about biodiesel, I think about soybeans, and we raise soybeans on our farm. I, I'm seeing some of the changes in soybean production and just the yields that farmers are getting now. We've got an endless supply of soybeans. Our, our country has got some fantastic soybean farmers. That's got to be really encouraging for the industry. It, it is, uh, and that's, you know, people don't plant soybeans on purpose for biodiesel necessarily. We plant it for protein, and but having those additional soybeans available to to feed high-quality protein to people who, who need to eat food, which would be pretty much all of us, um, that produces more soybean oil that we can use for these cleaner burning fuels that, that makes the whole value chain, you know, low carbon and, and the whole value chain more. So that's, that's been really encouraging for us as an industry. And, and, you know, the soybean farmers through their soybean checkoff program, you know, the funds that we use to do all this work to help promote the fuel, do the technical aspects of the fuel, which is my job, um, you know, we couldn't do that without soybean farmers planting those soybeans and putting that money in that checkoff program and, and allowing us to utilize, you know, their funds to help, you know, improve the profitability farming through the checkoff program. You know, as we look at a six billion gallon biodiesel market here coming up uh, in 2030 or possibly even sooner, there's still a lot more potential for growth there. What are what are some of those hurdles that are going to have to be met uh, at that point as we get more people on board? Yeah, well, I think you know we're going to probably need you know more crushed plants, you know, more oils and fats that that we can produce and that we can have available than the larger our industry can get. So biodiesel is a pretty low cost production process. So, you know, so if we keep continue to build that demand, continue to build that interest, continue to, to, to tell folks that our fuel is out there, that it's, it's low carbon, that you don't have to wait for, you know, wind and solar. You know, those are some of the things that are, are already in place and that we're working hard to, to increase those volumes, you know, from the, where we're at today, you know, three to three and a half billion up to the six billion in the future. Yeah, the thing we've always appreciated here uh, on our farm and in our operation is we don't have to change anything. We can just start using it tomorrow. Yeah, just make the phone call to our fuel supplier, and, uh, and and for us, we don't even have to do that. Our fuel supplier calls us and says, hey, guys, uh, I got some more biodiesel. Are you ready to go? And we just say, yes. It's pretty easy, Steve. Hey, thank you so much. Really yep. appreciate all you're doing for us in the industry, and, and stay in touch. You will do. Talking about biofuels on today's program. If you've got questions about that, today is a great day to call in. And of course, if you have an agronomic question, we're happy to help with that too. It's 844-44-AG-PHD. My mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? 
check out caseih.com. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Your farm data platform might let you manage your fertilizer plan by helping you set sample points, determine management zones, or create fertilizer recommendations. With Verify, you can do all that. But what Verify does that no one else can is take yield data straight from your combine, correlate this info to soil test points, and immediately generate variable rate fertilizer maps based on your nutritional goals. Whether you want to build soil levels, balance your field for uniform nutrition, or maintain fertility levels by simply applying what you removed at harvest. And with full integration with John Deere Operations Center, Verify can send recommendations directly to application equipment, no matter the color. Sign up for your Verify account today at Verify.com and keep your farm moving. That's V-R-A-F-Y dot it's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Just because your combine is one brand doesn't mean its corn head should be the same, especially when it costs you yield. Drago corn heads are engineered to harvest more. Lowest profile saves ears, self-adjusting deck plates save kernels, longer knife rollers reduce trash, and aggressive gathering chains pick up stocks. No other corn head works like a Drago or pays you back like one. Get the best deals of the season through December 15th. Learn more at dragooffers.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about biofuels. Uh, we've got Mark Roush coming up to talk about ethanol here in just a second, but I wanted to sneak in a call here. Phil from Michigan wanted to share his experience with biodiesel. Phil, how are you doing? Well, it's pretty wet and soggy here in uh, west central Michigan today. We've had uh, more than our share of rain, and uh, we, I wish we would have it uh, had, had it back in the summertime when we needed it, but... Uh, that's uh, the way Mother Nature works. That is the way it goes sometimes. Talk to us about biodiesel. Have you guys used that on the farm? Uh, I started using it probably 20-plus years ago, and uh, I have had nothing but good results from it. And uh, here's a little story for you. In 2000, I bought a 10-year-old Ford Tandem with a Cummins diesel in it. And uh, it was over about... 75 miles away from here, brought it home and uh, all apples with it. And uh, there was this one particular hill that I was pulling. And uh, since I uh, put uh, some uh, D20 in it, uh, that old truck uh, turned 100 RPMs higher 
and it turned uh, about five mile an hour faster pulling that same hill. And my thought is, hey, this stuff cleaned the cobwebs out of this uh, old Cummins engine. And uh, it, uh, I was real happy with it. Uh, and I, I used premium fuel exclusively in all of my vehicles, my trucks, my tractors, and combine and stuff. And uh, I have had no issues whatsoever, uh, no gelling, uh, no problems whatsoever. Uh, so, uh, that's awesome. I'm just a, a praiser or a yeah. spokesman for, uh, this, uh, it's good stuff and, uh, you know, got a little better fuel economy, but the more important even environmental thing is, uh, you know, we're doing something good for the environment Absolutely. and we're reducing that carbon footprint and, uh, all the uh, critics are honest about that. So we can say, Hey, look, we are doing our part. Uh, go after somebody else. Yeah, and have been for a long time. Hey, Phil, thank you so much. Really appreciate you sharing that. Hopefully the sunshine comes out soon for you. Uh, supposed to Saturday. Okay, well, here we go. There we go. Maybe, maybe we'll get back on track soon. Hey, thanks, Phil. We really appreciate it. Uh, I mentioned before we got Mark Roush with us right now from the Auto Channel to talk about ethanol a little bit. Mark, you got to love hearing good stories like that, guys that had success with biofuels. Oh, uh, it's a great story, and... Uh, one that I think you know that I've talked about before, I've written about it, is that, oh, 12 years ago, something like that, I bought a Ford. It's interesting he bought a Ford truck. I bought a Ford uh, Taurus and uh, a non-flex fuel Ford Taurus from a friend, and I bought it specifically to do some testing with with ethanol. Uh, um, you know, obviously not just running... E10, but running everything else that I could, all the other splash blends that I could do. And I had, you know, sort of comparable stories to what Phil was just talking about, or, or experience, I should say. And that is that in running E30, E40, E50, the car actually performed better than it did at, with just E10. Um, at E85, it was it was it was not a flex fuel car. So at E85, it ran a little rough. If I went solely E85, but that's what it's supposed to do. So I backed off that and I just simply ran it, you know, primarily at E30, 40, 50. And when I took it in for smog tests that we have to do in California, it passed with flying colors to. The, to the degree that the first time I did it, they they ran it through the test twice because they thought something was wrong with the test. And the, when as the fellow came into the waiting room and handed me the results page, I said, uh, uh, "Boy, this looks pretty good, huh?" He says, "Yeah, you must you must really clean, keep your engine clean." <laughs> and I said, "No, I just, I just run it on a lot of ethanol." <laughs> That's but, awesome. I mean, there was no emissions. There was uh, there were three categories that they rate, and and I had zero, one, and zero were my wow with the emissions coming out, which was you know nothing anyway. <laughs> so you I know, do. That, Mark, it, there's it, a there's an ethanol plant builder in our uh, region here, and they bought a 
I can't remember if it was a Ford Expedition or a or a Yukon or something, a big SUV. And they did they did the same thing, but a non flex fuel engine and they ran E eighty five through it for over a hundred thousand miles. And then they donated it to uh, a local tech school uh, and their their engine program. And one of our neighbor's sons happened to be in that program. And he said, Darren, I've never seen an engine that clean in my life. It was amazing. And we're like, how many miles are on this thing? This is crazy. This is awesome. Yeah. I've seen that. I've seen the video of it. You're talking about uh, Lake Area, right? Yes. Yes. Am I getting the name correct? Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. And uh, I saw the video. And uh, in fact, I have a copy of the video. I have an actual copy of the video. They sent me the, I think they, I I think they sent me the original, I have to say. That's but pretty cool. It, it was. It was a great video. And um, the professor, when I did a uh, talk at that school a few years ago, and unfortunately, that professor was no longer there. The instructor, I would have loved to meet him. But uh, it is a, it's a good story. And it's, it's, it's the same results <laughs> that ethanol has gotten. For over a hundred years, <laughs> and and people still want to talk about that, that ethanol is going to create something wrong with the with the engine, which doesn't happen. <laughs> well, when we run these E10 blends and E85 blends, our, our data would be very similar to yours. Those have been the least efficient of the blends. When we get in the E30, E20, E30, E40, uh, it, it just seems to be better in our non-flex fuel vehicles. Is it a political thing that we're limited to 10 and 85, or are there some reasons that we're limited to that? Well, my understanding is that you know the, the sort of the behind the scenes thing was that they limited the the, the thing to E10 the situation to E10 because um, firstly all that you need is about E5 in order to replace tetraethyl lead so you only needed about five percent but they went to 10 and then they limited it at 10 because the oil industry didn't want to give away more than 10%. Um, but, and, and so it's just a matter of that. And what I was told a long time ago when, when, when my name, when the Auto Channel uh, first became known as supporters of ethanol, uh, and I had gone to Washington to help on a, on a thing, I was told that, well, we have to be careful because, you know, the oil industry is our biggest customer right? Because they're the ones who decided really to use ethanol as, as the mix. Uh, it wasn't the government, you know, people think it was the government that mandated ethanol. It's not. The government simply said, you got to do something to clean up, clean your act up. And so after giving us MTBE, the oil industry finally said, all right, well, we'll, we'll go to ethanol. And so they went to ethanol and that's, and so they are the customer. And and so I think a lot of people, too many people in the ethanol business, in the ethanol advocacy business, are are placating the oil industry by not being pains in the in the neck, you know, like they should. Um and so it is political. You know, I my business partner, Bob Gordon, uh and I talk about this of course every day. And one of the things that we've been talking about is that 
all of these people who are running around in, in the world and laying down in front of cars and trying to stop traffic and all that stuff, that's the wrong way to do it. If they really want to stop big oil, if they want to stop oil, they should be joining the army that uses ethanol. And these people should be redirected to be not blocking traffic, but being at service stations that have E85 and explaining to people that it would be a good idea for them to be putting some E85 into their car. That sounds exactly like my dad. He liked to have conversations at the fuel pump. Hey, we'll be back with more from Mark Roush right after this. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spin spring on the tractor and fall in the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Because the challenges you face are getting bigger every year, BASF is committed to helping with more than boots on the ground. We're committed to boots in the mud, boots on the steps of your truck, your tractor, your combine, the linoleum tiles of your coffee shop, the concrete of your co-op, the gravel in your shed. So we can listen, learn firsthand, help right now to ensure success. BASF, helping you do the biggest job on earth. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Take your tillage to the next level with the Insight Universal Tillage Tool from McFarland Ag. With more adjustability and flexibility, the Insight is the ultimate one-pass tillage tool. Visit McFarlandAg.com to find your closest dealer. From machine storage buildings and farm shops to dependable buildings to house your livestock, regardless of building size or use, Morton has a building for every budget. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Good 
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio, talking about biofuels today. And every once in a while, we have a show on biofuels, and we get a lot of feedback afterwards, and that's great. And we, we appreciate that, and we love love hearing from you and love hearing your experiences. If you want to share any of those today, give us a phone call, 844-44-AG-PHD. Love to have you on. Got Mark Roush with us right now with the Auto Channel. Probably not a bigger supporter of ethanol out there just because he's done the background work to see how it actually functions and what's true and what's not true because there's so many myths out there, Mark. It seems like uh, you're constantly fighting some of these battles of, oh, what are they saying now? Come on, guys. <laughs> I, it is. And, you know, I enjoy it so much. It's, ter- I mean, it, it, it's, it's, um, I hate to class. I hate to uh, sort of compare it to being a, a drug, but it's 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 like a happy drug. You know, I love countering um, the stupidity <laughs> and the myths and and some of the uh, inventiveness that people uh, come up with about the stuff. You know, about you know the, the simple things are you know that it eats plastic and it eats rubber and and all of that is complete silliness. Uh, none of that is true, um, but you know I've done a lot of uh, good research and thinking into well, what is it that's actually making ethanol better than non-ethanol gasoline? And of course, the the key component is the octane. Now, a lot of people want to talk about the energy content, right? The BTUs of gasoline uh, compared to ethanol. But BTUs have nothing to do with it. Energy content has nothing to do with it because that whole rating system is based on how to heat water for steam engines, not for internal combustion engines. For internal combustion engines, the key is octane. And so what it really comes down to is that the reason that an E20, an E30, an E40, an E50 will produce better results in in a flex fuel or non-flex fuel car or, or engine, it's because of the octane, not because of the energy and or the so-called you know energy, the so-called BTU energy. And of course, uh, ethanol has the higher, the much higher octane, uh, and that's why it's better. You know, um, if benzene wasn't so poisonous, benzene would be. A, a much better fuel than just gasoline because benzene has very high octane. The problem with benzene is it's deadly. It's basically as deadly as tetraethyl lead. And a study that was done by the oil industry, which is very important because it's the oil industry that did this study, in the late 40s, their study said that there is, the question was asked, what is the um, what what's the allowable percentage that could be used could that benzene could be in our air and what they came back with was zero <laughs> percent now you can't make gasoline without there being benzene because it's just a it's it's part of the process that in the refining benzene is created but so they said it's zero percent but it, so if benzene wasn't so poisonous, benzene would be a better fuel than gasoline. It may even be better. I don't know. It may, maybe. It would, let's say it would be as good as ethanol. 
but it is poisonous. And so it's stupid to use it and to stupid to have it around and stupid to be using it in gas or again, you can't, you can't not have it in gasoline. But if you didn't have ethanol, the only way that they could raise the octane level of gasoline sufficiently would be to increase the level of benzene. And it's bad enough that we went through 60 years, 70 years of poisoning the world with tetraethyl lead, which has affected the mental capability of people all around the world. So it's bad enough that that happened, but if we had to then uh, be using benzene, it would be even worse. So the answer is ethanol. And ethanol, uh, uh, a car or an engine, an internal combustion engine that is fueled with exclusively with ethanol or a very high degree uh, level of ethanol is cleaner than an electric motor. And the way that you get to that calculation, that I get to that calculation, is that you take into account everything that has to go into making the electrical engine plus the lithium batteries uh, and all of that stuff. And when you compare it, an ethanol fuel car would actually be cleaner than an electric car. That's an amazing, unbelievable, fantastic claim, but it happens to be true. Hey, Mark, uh, we've got Paul calling in here from Central Missouri. Is, is Paul ready, Janelle? Is he ready to be on? Uh, let me dive in. I think he's still chatting with Janelle. Hey, Paul, how you doing? I got you on here with Mark Roush as well. Yeah, Mark. Hi. Hi, Paul. Hi. Uh, Paul in Central Missouri. Right now we uh, we are experiencing 15 cents a gallon discount with E15 but there's just a few select stations that carry it, but the, it's 88 octane, and that's what I try to tell the naysayers is look at the octane rating. Don't pay any attention to what the E number is. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You know, it's it's a uh, a couple of years ago when the uh, whoever it is in the ethanol advocacy uh, industry created the the 88 designation rather than calling it E15, I wrote a story and I said it was a brilliant marketing move. It was it was maybe one of the top three or four marketing things I've ever come across in my life. And I've spent, I've only spent 52 years as an advertising marketing guy, right? So, but it, in those years, calling it E88 or calling it 88 is, is one of the top things because it hits home without even having to get busy with, you know, is ethanol good or bad or this and that, you know, and all that stuff. Um, and the truth is, is that E15 could and should be even higher than 88 octane uh, because if you were really mixing E85 or if you were mixing, uh, yeah, let's say you were doing a splash blend of E85 with uh, e zero, well, and to get to an to an E fifteen to get to a fifteen percent ratio, you would actually have higher octane because the E zero that you would be using would be eighty seven octane. But what the oil industry does in order to save and to make a few extra cents 
is that they're only using um, E0 at an 84 octane rating because so so that E15 actually should be closer to being uh, 89 or even a 90 octane, which would then impinge on the mid grade or the high test, right? And so they don't want to do that. <laughs> so, but yeah. it is it, E15 would be great, and E15 works perfect. And I even get a little bit get better gas mileage, maybe one or two miles a gallon. But anyway, uh, and I know the 15 cent spread right now is on the backs of the corn farmers because the corn price is down. Usually, we're just about a nickel cheaper. But one more, one right. more, my little my little spiel for the naysayers is, I'll go to the ethanol plant. And I'll grab a 12-ounce bottle of what's in their pipeline coming straight off the pot. And you go right. to the oil pipeline, and you get a 12-ounce bottle of that. And we'll sit down and drink them and see who's kicking at the end of the day. <laughs> I don't think it'd take very long, Paul. No, I don't. Not recommending that. Not recommending what Paul said there. Don't, don't, don't try that at home. <laughs> Can I add one other thing? And that is that it's not just 15 cents cheaper because... The alternative would be not, in other words, it, it's not sufficient to 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 call to um, to compare E15 to E10. You actually have to compare E15 to E0. Oh, that's a, that's a good point, Mark. Hey, Mark, we're up against a break. Hang on for just one second. If you get just a little bit more time, we'll let you finish that right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. In 1923, Bertar Benjamin had a vision, an all-purpose tractor that could do more. With that, the Farmall was born. This year, Case IH is celebrating 100 years of Farmall, 100 years of milestones, 100 years of innovation, passion, grit. And they're doing it through your stories. Share them at Farmall100.com. One lucky storyteller will win their own Farmall, the tractor that is the one for all. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Hey Fred, how's harvest coming? Well, gotta take care of my STDs. Your what? <laughs> my soil transmitted disease. Got white mold spreading in my bean fields again. Foliar fungicides alone just aren't cutting it and I can't seem to get rid of it. Fred, get ahead of the spread. My agronomist highly recommends Contans WG from Sipcam Agro. It's definitely your solution to control white mold at its source. Huh, thanks Joe. I'm calling my retailer today for Contans WG. It takes balance to be successful in farming, because what you get out of it 
depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. When nematode pressure mounts, Seed Applied Trunemco provides assurance. Growers using Trunemco are seeing a difference. From early plant vigor to improved soybean and cotton yield, impressive results are everywhere, and we want to hear about yours. You could win $20,000 and be named a Trunemco Top Grower. Request your starter kit at newfarm.com forward slash top grower, but don't delay. Contest ends November 30th. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited. See full rules. Newfarm.com forward slash top grower. Talking biofuels today on Ag PhD Radio. Just had a great call from down in Missouri saying, hey, there's a 15 cent discount in our area on E15 uh, versus the the alternative. And and Mark, uh, we've got Mark Roush on with us right now from the Auto Channel. Mark was just explaining, well, depends on how you look at that discount. Uh, go ahead, Mark. We got cut off there by a break. <laughs> okay. So, so the, it's not just the difference between E15 and E10. By if, if instead of using uh, E10, if it only had E0, the difference between E0 and E15 is which is a big difference, and then another amount that you're saving, right? So it's it, like so in my area in California, if if they were using a gasoline that had a high octane that did not have uh, ethanol in it, the gasoline would probably be $2, $3 more expensive per gallon than, than the E10. And so if you can then save that plus another 15 cents, you're way ahead of the, the ball game. So it's much better. And of course, when the EPA, when the when the government's laboratories did the testing back in 2008, 9, 10, that the EPA then cleared the way, for, supposedly cleared the way for, to say, okay, E15 is all right. They also tested E20, and the results of all the testing was that E20 was just as safe as E10. That you know there was, so they they could have. So EPA could have said, well, you know what? Screw it. We're not going to E15. Let's let's approve E20. They could have made that jump. And of course, the bigger truth to that is they could have said, let's go to E25. Let's go to E27. Like in Brazil, let's go to E30. They could have just done that. But they they don't do it. And that certainly is a whole political issue. Yeah, uh, yeah no doubt about that's that. That's what should happen. Lots of politics. We've been talking with Mark Roush here, and I know every time we have Mark on, people always send us emails and uh, and talk to Brian and me personally and say, how do we get a hold of Mark? How do we find more about what he's doing? You can go to theautochannel.com. You can get the book, The Ethanol Papers. Um, it was published, uh, I think, 2019, probably. Has it been a few years yes, now? Yes, yes. 
So right. there, yeah. there's just so much info. And like, like Mark had said earlier, he's only been doing this for 52 years. So he's, he's got a little <laughs> bit of background in what's happened in this industry as you go. So it's kind of neat to get that perspective versus somebody that's just been following this for the last few years. Uh, there's just a lot that's gone into it. Uh, Mark, any last things you want to say? Thank you so much for being so generous with your time today, too. Well, thank thank you, and thank you for your interest and and you and your brother of asking me to be on. It's always a lot of fun. Um, I I you know we we're exasperated. Um, we're we've sort of run out of a lot of steam, and it's it's as if a lot of the the big the advocacy groups are treating us like enemies more than friends and. We like to think that the Auto Channel uh, is among ethanol's biggest friends uh, in the world. Absolutely. And um, but we don't, you know, it's <laughs> they 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 it's a it's a whole thing, and we can't quite figure that out except that it's got to be political issues, and that some people must must think I'm too strong, um, which all right, you know, that's okay, but. That's how they uh, that's how they grow us guys from Brooklyn. They <laughs> Well, I'll say this, Mark. You do have some strong you do have some strong takes, but the best part is you've got the research and the data and the understanding of how things work to back it up. Thank you. <laughs> well, we really appreciate it, Mark. We wish you guys the best uh, uh, to you and to Bob. Uh, hopefully you guys keep doing this for a long, long time because uh, I agree with you. It's not only fun and entertaining, but it's so educational to to hear the real yeah. story behind all these things and, and to help us fight through the myths, give us the data and the information to do that. So, Mark, thank you so much. We really appreciate what you do and, and uh, hope to have you on again sometime soon. Good. Thank you. Look forward to it. <laughs> Say hi. He was just saying, say hi to Brian. I'm sorry, I cut you off there, Mark. He was saying, say yeah. hi to Brian. Yeah. And Brian, Brian's yeah. sitting here just smiling. He he knew exactly. Oh, He's oh. like, oh, man. He goes, <laughs> yep. we're doing a biofuel show. Mark could do the whole show and still have much more to talk about today. Oh, it'd be an 18-hour show. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being on, Mark. We appreciate it as always. You're okay. awesome. Great. Thank you. You yeah. bet. <laughs> All right, Brian, uh, had a few more questions that had come in here um, off top. We had, we had a couple of callers that came in on, on biofuels, and I know we've got more emails here, but I'll, I wanted to get to a couple of these things. Um, this one comes from JW down in northwest Missouri, and he's doing some strip till, and he's doing P&K. So I know that's right up your alley, too. So we're currently no-till. Everything agronomically is right up my alley. Currently no-till planting ahead. corn and soybeans <laughs> in 15-inch rows with hilly conditions, lots of terraces. Our current system yep. for applying dry P&K is surface application in the fall. Sure. And I know what you say about how P moves through the soil and, mm -hmm. and that it's uh, one that's pretty highly concentrated in the top inch or two in the no-till. Uh, yep. But given all these circumstances, would it be advantageous to strip till P and K in 30 inch yes. spacing, knowing that we wouldn't necessarily yes. be planting over the top of the strip? Yep. Um, also, would you recommend strip till application both in front of corn and soybeans um, at six inches deep, um, or should we go shallower and do the 15 inch row spacing? Just curious what you think. Wait, go back to that last so part. They I don't could, understand the last part. Uh, they could potentially go to a three to four inch deep system with 15 inch spacing. Oh, I got gotcha. you. But they're set up where they could do six inches deep if they're on 30 inches. 
I mean, um, to me, I think I'd just go every other year and just right. just put it out in the 30-inch spacing, and eventually you got every 15. Well, it's really not every other year. It would be... You do every a, single year, yes. Yeah, you do two years in a row. Then you could skip a couple years if you, if you, if you wanted to, I guess. Load it up a little well, bit year one, load it up a little more year two, and then call it good uh, for a couple years, and then keep uh, doing some uh, fertilizer with the planter and things like that. So... Here's the other concern when you broadcast, based on what he said, is if it's hilly at all, then, I mean, we deal with some highly erodible land too. So believe me, I know this this is what ends up happening. That good stuff washes to the bottom, the soil, and then along with it, the P and the K because they don't leach down very well. So these are just my fears with that. So yeah, that's where a strip till thing would be nice. Uh, but here again, it's not like you have to do this every year, but if you just at one point do it and then you move over 15 inches at another point, whether it's the next year, the year after, whenever it is, now you've pretty much got it and, and you're good. So no, I would put some fertility down deep. Here's another thing that we found over the years after digging so many root pits is roots take the path of least resistance. So if you've got this trench uh, that you created down to eight inches deep that's got no compaction, your roots, even if the, the plant is 15 inches over, we have seen it where the roots will find that. Now, they're not going to maximize yield by doing that if that was all their fertility, but they are going to find it and they are going to get some of that fertility. So anyway, yes, I would try it. But like we say always, try some stuff on a small scale. Maybe rent a machine for one year. Try it on some of your acres. See how that works. That's how we got started in strip till. After we tried it about two, three years, we said, okay, yeah, this uh, this this works for us on some of our acres. All right. Thanks for uh, thanks for the question. Had had uh, a couple others come in here that I wanted to hopefully get to here. Uh, let's see, maybe one is all we have time for. Daryl uh, <laughs> said, hey, uh, you guys had mentioned uh, probably a few weeks ago now, if somebody's taking samples and the ground's so hard or it's frozen yes. that they're using an auger, uh, that that would increase uh, potentially a couple of nutrients on the soil test. I think iron from the auger itself is a possibility. Yep. Uh, any other ones you'd be concerned about? There's nothing I can think of off the top of my head, but you just want to find out what's the composition of the auger. What is it made out of? Yes, iron would be the main one we would get concerned about. So uh, stainless steel would be nice. All right, then uh, SS sent this in and said, I'm a little bit confused here because I think one thing Brian said and Darren said might be different, but maybe they're both right. Uh, I'm working on... Uh, Sounds like it that we'd both be well, right, but he, go ahead. He said he's, worried, he's concerned about iron, and he said, Brian said, if you could reduce magnesium, that would be good for iron. And Darren said, we need to have more iron than manganese. Just curious with the magnesium, manganese thing, are they both important, or is it just one or the other? Um, I have five seconds left. We need to answer. We need to talk more about that tomorrow, but they're both important. Let's bring that back up again tomorrow, though. Okay, sounds good. Well, thanks for the question, SS, and yeah, we'll get a get a more detailed explanation uh, on tomorrow's show. And of course, if you have an agronomic question for us or any feedback on the biofuels show today, you can always email us radio at agphd.com. Thanks for listening to today's program, and be sure to join us again tomorrow for more Ag PhD Radio.